I'm Mark. I'm one of the, um, the team of clergy um, here at St. James. Um, that reading from Luke's Gospel, we're going, we're going to be looking at Luke's chapter 12 and 13 over the next few weeks. But if you want to um, get a big overview over, over Luke's Gospel, we've done a, a little reading plan for the whole Gospel. Um, you were probably handed one of these or pick one of these up on the way out. It splits the whole Gospel um, into readings, kind of short readings over 11 weeks, five readings per week, so it gives you a chance to catch up. And we've um, named this sermon series, Jesus Joins Us Live. You've got the microphone there, and Chris has kind of very snazzily put together this little microphone for us. A little reminder that Jesus has got the microphone with us. He is going to be speaking to us, but we need God's help, so let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are joining us here. You're here with us now. You are speaking to us. And when you speak, things happen. Your word creates life. Your word fixes brokenness. Your word restores us. We ask that by the power of your spirit, you will do that You will restore us. You will refresh us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, in the years to come, I think one of the, possibly the abiding memory of this time, in the aftermath of the death of Queen Elizabeth II, I think the abiding memory may well be the extraordinary cue of people waiting to see the Queen lying in state. It's been incredible, absolutely um, just remarkable. I found myself, I'm sure I'm not the only one, found myself checking the queue length at different times of the day. Did it in the morning, did it in the evening, (laughs) wake up in the morning, you know, how long has it been? I know that some of you have been Some of you have been caught, (laughs) as it were. Um, I've seen you on the news. Um, Our vicar, Chris, he's he's there right now, not in the queue, but acting as a chaplain to those who are in the queue, talking to people who are waiting, an opportunity to, to encourage, just to hear their story, maybe even to pray with them. Why do people do it? Why are we doing it? We're paying our respects. We're paying our respects to a lifelong servant of the people. Some people have said to wait five hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, waiting that period of time set against 70 years of sacrificial service. Our wait, people's wait, has been worth it because of her faithfulness on a journey. Her faithfulness, her steadfast obedience and commitment to the promises that she made before Almighty God. Over the next few weeks, we're looking at a different kind of journey. Um, A different kind of journey, a different long walk 
in one direction. A long, different long walk, sorry, in, in the same direction. We have Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching whilst he is on a journey, whilst he is on the road to Jerusalem. We're told just a little bit earlier on in Luke's gospel that when the time had approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Whilst he's waiting to be taken up in heaven, Jesus set his face for his journey. And as he does that, as he's on this journey with his disciples, with crowds of people watching and stopping and following him or in different places, um, Jesus teaches the disciples about the journey that they are on, the journey that they must take. And this is the journey that we share with the disciples. So if we are going to have Jesus live with us, well, then Jesus has got the microphone. And if we're hearing him properly, as he speaks into the microphone for us to hear, it's going to bring about different reactions in us. Because his words, they're going to warn us, they're going to provoke us, they're going to get under our skin but they're also going to assure us and they're also going to fortify us and prepare us for the journey that we are on. So this is key teaching. This is essential instruction for the slow step-by-step path that we take following the master. And in this first section, in these first 12 verses, we will see that on this road, on this path, this slow path of of, of obedience, we will see that this is a walk that you can't fake. You can't fake the walk on this path. That the walk on this path has to be lived out in the fear of the Lord. And then thirdly, that this walk on this path is a walk of public confession. The walk of discipleship, three things. You can't fake it, it's in the fear of the Lord, and it's a public walk. Firstly then, you can't fake this walk. I should have set the background of where we are. Um, just immediately before this passage, Jesus had been in the house of some Pharisees and experts of the law, and Jesus had spent time with them, and he's exposed them. He's exposed their hypocrisy. And it all ends up a little bit messy. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they are insulted. The mood is tense. Jesus steps out, but outside there's a crowd of people. There's a huge crowd of people, thousands of people. They're all kind of like stopping, stepping over one another to hear Jesus. What do crowds mean? They can mean success. Crowds can mean success. Maybe the disciples are thinking, whoa, look at all of these people, Jesus. Jesus, we're on to a winner here. We're building a movement. We're gaining momentum. The people love you. Jesus, just keep on doing what you're doing, and we're going to get to Jerusalem, and we're going to take it by storm. It doesn't say that. This, This is speculation. But we see crowds and we can equate crowds with success. 
And we can see a crowd and we can think of success and we think, well, maybe the disciples are thinking, keep doing that. Do what you need to do to keep that success. You've got to do what you need to do to keep the numbers up, to look good, to look impressive. Possibly what the disciples are thinking. And that can translate to us as a church. We could say, yeah, we're growing. People are flocking in, tuning in, exciting times. We can do that as individuals. We do that as people. We say, you know, life is good. Life is busy. But it's good to be busy, isn't it? Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. And he uses two word pictures here. He talks about yeast and hypocrisy. And he uses these two pictures to help us understand one thing. Hypocrisy, firstly. Um, The word, many of you will know this, kind of comes from the theater, comes from the Greek theater. And hypocrisy is to do with um, the mask that, that the actors would wear when performing a role. So hypocrisy at its root, it's about pretending to be someone else, wearing a mask, putting a mask on. And yeast? Well, what does that have to do with yeast? Well, in the Bible, yeast can sometimes be just is a, a positive thing, a little bit of yeast, which spreads out. It goes a long way. But what does yeast do? Yeast, it causes things to rise, to expand. But when it expands in something, what, what's expanding? It's just a lot of air. The mass has increased. The size has increased but not the actual weight. Yeast, hypocrisy. You can see it's about the same kind of thing. It's about appearances that can be deceptive. Appearances that can be deceptive. An image that has been put forward, but like the thing that's rising, you can prick your your finger in it, comes back down. And it's tempting for us to do As Christians, it's tempting for us to do even as a whole church. We can say that there is an image to keep up, a look that we have to maintain, which leads to a mask that we feel we have to wear so that we can keep the crowd, so we can keep the status, so we can keep this appearance of success. But what's the reality? You see, it's easy for us to give an impression that we're more dedicated to Jesus than we really are. It's easy to give an impression that we're more dedicated to the church than than is the reality. I don't think people actually set out to create a false image. But if you know that your walk with Jesus isn't what it was, or you know that your walk with Jesus isn't what what it should be, are you real with yourself and with other people about that? Are you serious about trying to do something to get on the right track, to stay on there? Or do you just say, nah, well, you know, it's okay. It's just a bit of a difficult time at the moment. I'll get my life sorted out, and then I'll have time to get back to God. Don't try and fake it. You can't. Humanly speaking, you know, the sociologist, the psychologist will tell you that you can't keep up a 
pretense. That if you're trying to fit in in a, in a different crowd, if you're trying to wear a mask in life, if you're trying to be something that you're, that you're not, that eventually that, that kind of acting that you've got to do, that eventually you'll crack and it takes its toll. And that's absolutely true. And yet, through sheer willpower and deception towards other people, which ends up translating into kind of like a self-deception, people get through faking the Christian life. They get through their whole life with people perceiving that somehow they were more dedicated to Jesus than they really are. But Jesus says it doesn't end with the grave. Verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. You can't fake the Christian life because it all comes out in the end. So what do you do with that? Jesus is clear that the true Christian walk And this is the second big idea, is is a walk of discipleship that is lived in the fear of the Lord. See, Jesus, he wants us to extend our horizons. He wants us to look further than our nose. Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In our small group, in our pastorate um, last week, um, this week actually, we looked at this passage, a little group of friends, we, we looked at this passage, and we joked about the heading that's in our Bibles, in the, in the NIV, the heading, Warnings and Encouragements. And we say, well, this is pretty full on. This is pretty full on because it feels like there are way more warnings than there are encouragements in this passage. And the temptation for us, what we feel, what I feel on the inside is, I want to rush on. I want to move on to the encouragement. I want to find that little nugget of truth, of of golden truth, because it's all truth. But that little bit which is going to speak to me that I'm going to hang on to. But we've got to slow down. We've got to live here a moment in the truth of these words, in the truth of these words about fear and, yes, about hell. Jesus acknowledges the reality that we all fear something or someone. And it often can be, um, you know, a real fear of loss that if something or someone disappears from our lives, then we're not just going to lose a bit of meaning and purpose, but that for some, sometimes there can be something that if we lose that, we feel we've lost all meaning and purpose. You kind of read these stories or hear about people in kind of high-performance high-paying jobs where there is a pressure, an expectancy to kind of keep on delivering. You've got to keep on delivering, keep on delivering. And it's pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. And yet the fear of losing that job and all that goes along with it means they carry on doing it even though it's 
basically killing them. Even though they know what it's doing to their own life and to their family, yet they keep on doing, keep on going, keep on pushing. Why? Because they're afraid of losing that which they think is giving them meaning. Now, this is a little bit different to the kind of direct threat that Jesus' disciples would face. You know, the threat of, of persecution, of being killed for being a follower of Jesus. But there is something similar here about trying to hold on to something, whether it's a career or a lifestyle or whatever. And even though you know that that career, that lifestyle is going to kill you, or that you think it's going to be the end of you, you persist because you think that when you die, that'll be it. It'll be over. And Jesus is saying, no, it won't be. I don't know. Maybe some of you You've kind of heard this stuff before. You've heard the stuff about Jesus before. You've heard about Jesus. You've been to church. Maybe you've actually grown up coming to church. But when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, like really following him, committing your whole life to him, kind of laying your life down and saying, okay, God, it's your will, not my own. When it comes to that, You're saying, nah, I can't. I can't go that that whole way. And despite knowing that there's so much here that you, you feel it's tugging at you and saying, I feel like it's true. Maybe you're thinking, I just can't do that because I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose my freedom, my life. I'm afraid about what people are going to say to me whether that's my colleagues or my friends or even my family. And maybe you think, I can't go all that way because it's going to be the end of me. In love, you can't sugarcoat what Jesus says. Don't fear what the world has to say about you. Be, fr- be afraid instead of what God says about you. God's authority over us is for all eternity. And it's either an eternity with him, enjoying his presence as the source of all goodness, or it's an eternity away from him in hell, apart from the source of all goodness and love. Jesus is, you know, he's emphatic about this. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, it's true that we don't like to talk about God in that fearing sense or relating to God in a, when we think about fear and maybe we think it's about kind of being trembling, kind of like a quivering um, wreck. That kind of sense of fear is not something which is comfortable with us. We just need to slow down. We can't escape these words. And I will say that fear is the best translation for that word In verse 4, it's basically the same word that's been translated. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but after that do do no more. But I tell you whom you should fear. And yes, fear does mean awe and respect and reverence for him. Fear does mean that there's an awareness of God in his holiness, in his purity. And that fear should make us tremble, but in a right way. You see, there is a kind of fear 
which is wrong. There is a kind of fear which is more like kind of anxiety or a fear which is a fear of being caught out. Some people have a fear of God in the sense of, oh, I don't want to have my hand in the biscuit tin when Jesus returns. You know, that fear that says, that, oh, no, when Jesus comes, that's it, game over. But the right fear of God, the right fear of the Lord, looks at God and says, you know, God, you're the one who sees everything, and you know everything, and so you already know about my life, and you already know about my sin, and I know that you already have power over my whole life, over all eternity. But the right fear of the Lord says also, I know and I trust that Jesus came and died for me, and that means you love me. You have not forgotten me. It's that fear causes us to tremble. Old songs which speak about that at the cross, when you think about the love and that's displayed at the cross, causes us to tremble. And it's in the light of that, in the light of that fear, that we hear the truth of verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, literally. Do not fear. You are worth more than many sparrows. If you fear God, you have nothing to be afraid of. Lastly, lastly, more briefly then, the walk of discipleship is a public walk. Look with me at verse 9, or verse 8, sorry. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others, before, before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's been pointed out to me that this is a passage of contrast. It's contrast, not just these verses here from verse 8, but, but across the whole reading. There are these contrasts, concealed and disclosed, hidden and made known, whispered and proclaimed. There's earthly fear and there's heavenly fear. There's killing the earthly body and there's being thrown into hell. And then here, the contrast is between acknowledge, acknowledging God and being acknowledged by God and disowning God and being disowned by him. And in this last section, which I'm not going to have time to unpack all of it, we might put some extra thoughts out on, on the podcast. Um, this last section, the last of Jesus' pronouncements, it's about the public confession. What are we saying about him? And it's something that's woven throughout these verses that our lives are lived out in front of God and in front of the whole world. Something about being, there's a public display that's happening. You see, nothing is really is hidden. Not ultimately. Ultimately, nothing is really hidden. So is our walk with God, is it genuine? Is there integrity in our lives about what we say about how we follow God and what actually really happens? Or are we playing for the crowd? 
You see, if you fear the crowd, you won't be able to fear God. But if there's a real fear of the Lord and a genuine trust, a genuine trust that comes from the inside out, that genuine trust in the goodness and the holiness of God, then the crowd will have no fear, hold no fear over you. You'll be able to say that you follow Jesus. You'll be able to publicly confess him and know that when all is said and done and when Jesus returns, he will acknowledge you. He will say, you are mine. When we have a right understanding of the fear of the Lord, when we have a right understanding of the Lord's compassion upon us, we'll be able to declare boldly our allegiance to Jesus. We read that word acknowledge, and I don't know what you think. It might, sometimes we say, oh, so-and-so acknowledged me. And you kind of think, what is acknowledge? Well, it's kind of like a nod of the head when you walk into the meeting. This isn't that kind of acknowledgement. No, this word, the kind of the origins of the word or the literal kind of meaning, is, it's acknowledging is to, it's kind of like you're committing yourself, committing yourself with a promise, with a confession, with a declaration. Jesus is saying, yes, you might face hostility. Yes, you might face the cold shoulder. Yes, you might have people who will no longer really want to associate you. Yes, the invitations to to the parties or to the drinks or whatever it is. Yes, that might dry up because you've said you're a Christian, because you've said that you want to follow Jesus. Yes, people might want to distance themselves from you, but Jesus says when we are trusting in him, it's almost like he is moving closer to us. When people want to distance themselves from us because of our trust in Jesus, we are more aware than ever that he has united himself with us. Let me wrap this up now. If you see yourself as a Christian, you are a Christ follower. You're following Jesus. And your life is lived out in the public gallery before God, before people. So who are you looking to? We all know that we veer towards what we're looking at. So look to Jesus. His eye is on you anyway. So trust him. Confess your sin to him. At the end of the day, it's not about the approval that we kind of generate from within ourselves. Our approval has been won for us by Jesus You can't fake this walk. So you need an inner transformation. I need an inner transformation that comes from knowing, from truly knowing that I'm forgiven, from truly knowing my identity as a child of the living God, from knowing that I am united to Jesus through faith, from truly knowing that I have an eternal hope in him. I'm going to stop now, and as a response, we're going to confess our sin together. The words of the confession are going to appear on the screen, and 
maybe for, for some of you, you've said these words lots of times. You've, you've, you've confessed your sin a lot of the times. But maybe today might feel a bit different. Don't, don't lose that. Don't lose that. Or maybe you feel like this is something that you might be doing really for the very first time. Maybe this is something that you know that these words are true and, or you know these words are powerful and maybe you're not sure if you're quite ready to say them fully. Have the integrity. Maybe you, you don't think it would be appropriate to say them out loud. So let's just take a moment now, gather your thoughts together and I will lead us in this prayer of confession. Together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we have done those things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous, and godly life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with heartfelt repentance and true faith turn to him. Have mercy on you. Pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.